0: Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount at United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. gospel lesson this morning in the sermon text comes from Luke chapter 4. We're going to take a look at verses 21 through 30. So again, this is the gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. It says, and he, Jesus, began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, you and I start off this morning right exactly where we left off last week. We are with Jesus in Nazareth, and He is, as was His custom, worshiping on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. If you remember from last week, Jesus was handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and He reads there in the synagogue from chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, that good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Liberty is being granted to the captive and the oppressed. The blind are being made to see. And the year of the Lord's favor is being proclaimed right then and there in the person of Jesus. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And you and I discussed last week that this should be good news for all of us because we are the very people that Jesus is talking about. We are the poor. We are the captives. We are the blind. We lack in certain aspects of our relationship with God. We are captive to sin and the shadows of past sins. We are blind at times at the ways that we may fall short, maybe even intentionally. But thanks be to God that Jubilee has come to us. in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That by believing in Him, we find ourselves showered by the riches of God's grace freed from sin and death by God's mercy, and given the opportunity to live life abundant by allowing the light of Jesus to fill our hearts and minds and direct our steps. All of us, regardless of our chips, cracks, mistakes, wrong turns, or whatever it is that makes us feel discontent, all of us have been given the opportunity to start over, to start again, to clear the slate to refocus our lives and be uplifted and transformed by repenting and believing the good news. And why? Because the promises of Scripture, the words of the prophets that pointed to the Messiah, have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And the folks in the synagogue that day, when they hear this message, love it. They all spoke well of him, it says. And they marvel at the gracious words coming out of their mouth. And why not? This was their guy. They saw him grow up. They had heard about some of the things that he has done, the miracles and the signs that he has performed. And now the local boy done good has returned and has brought with him this message of proclamation and fulfillment. But then, as Ron Burgundy might say, things escalated quickly. Is not this Joseph's son? I think on its face, in and of itself, this question is not necessarily negative. Who would have thought Joseph's son speaking so well? I bet old Joseph is just beaming right now. Wow, this Jesus speaks wonderfully, and to think he's a local kid. I bet Joseph is proud of his boy. But Jesus didn't discern it this way, did he? Jesus takes it in a whole different way, and Jesus gets a little argumentative. Jesus' response is a little bit antagonistic. And I found myself this week thinking, well, come on, Jesus, a little more patience and tact, maybe. They were with you. Why would you have to go and rile everybody up? Well, clearly there must be something more at stake here. Something which seemed to almost compel Jesus to push back with some force. And I think it's because he knew what was in their hearts and minds. He wanted to warn them against being complacent, feeling entitled, and being unfaithful. And friends, this morning Jesus is here to warn us of the exact same thing. Jesus says to them, I know what you're thinking, physician, heal thyself. Do for us what you have done in Capernaum. Meaning what? Hey, Jesus, do some of the miracles and signs and things that we've heard you do in other places so that you can prove to us that you really are who you say you are. Show us some tricks. Surely as your neighbors and friends, you can do for us what you've done for a bunch of strangers, can't you? I think what Jesus discerns is that they still don't believe. They still need some kind of supernatural proof to Jesus' claim as the fulfillment of the prophecy he spoke of. His appearance, his voice, his face are not enough because they're used to those. They've been living with him for 30 years. And even though they were in the presence of God nearly every day of those 30 years with access to God's teachings and abundance of opportunities to spend time with the Word made flesh, they undervalued him friends you and I are also in danger of undervaluing our means of grace because we have them in such abundance our friend that I speak of often up here the Reverend JC Ryle says this we are apt to think lightly of the privilege of an open Bible a preached gospel and the liberty of meeting together for public worship we grow up in the middle of these things and are apt to have them without trouble The consequence is that we often hold them very cheap. We soon lose reverence for the name of Christ, the Bible, and other sacred things. Have you become complacent? We have unfettered access to Bibles of any and all translations and devotions at the push of a button on our smartphones or our computers. We have tablets capable of holding thousands of books to help instruct us on our faith journeys. We have any number of Bible studies and small groups and committees and missions and volunteer opportunities and the privilege of meeting here each and every week, each and every Sunday to sing and pray and hear the Word of God proclaimed. And yet, do we value it? Do we treat with wonder and awe the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or are we also waiting for something more? I've mentioned before in some of our Bible studies a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. You can find it on YouTube. It's a story of the growth of Christianity in Iran through underground churches led by women. One story that stands out to me is about a Christian Iranian husband and wife who escaped so they could come to America and freely live their faith. After spending some time here, the wife pleaded with her husband to take her back to Iran. He told her she was crazy. He told her you can be raped, beaten, killed for practicing your faith. Why do you want to go back? She said that the church in America is listening to a satanic lullaby, is asleep. And she found herself also falling asleep. Think about that. Friends, when we become complacent and comfortable, when our faith becomes just a matter of checking boxes and going through motions, of putting in an appearance here and there, we drift further and further away from any kind of an awakening, and stuff drift further towards sleep. Jesus wants us awake. Jesus wants us to quit hitting the snooze button when the alarm goes off. And the alarm rings for us, friends, with uncomfortable truths, which is what brings us to the next bit of information Jesus had for the people of Nazareth and you and I. They want signs and miracles and prophecy, but Jesus says to them, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What does that mean? Well, first we've got to understand the role of prophets. In most cases, when a prophet shows up, the news they have to deliver isn't always the best. In fact, usually it is some form of a rebuke of your behavior and a warning to change or suffer the wrath of God. From Joel, Jonah, and Amos to Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, when you see a prophet coming, you better brace yourself. For us, it would be the same thing as seeing Jim Cantore from the Weather Channel show up in your town. You don't know exactly what's coming, but you know it ain't going to be good. So what Jesus is saying to them is roughly this. In truth, you guys are complacent, and you think that because you know me, that I grew up here, that all I have for you is good news and fancy signs and miracles and amazing things to make you feel good. But that's not what I'm bringing to you. You aren't going to like what I have to say, but here it is. Not only are you complacent, but you are entitled, and that sense of entitlement makes you unfaithful. And you may be saying, well, I didn't hear you say any of that when you read the gospel. Well, you're right. But that is exactly what Jesus said when he retells to them the story of Elijah and Elisha. Both of these stories in 1 and 2 Kings take place during a period of widespread unfaithfulness to God. During this period of time, judgment came in the form of famine in one case and leprosy in the other. The only people to receive healing were Gentiles. Elijah with the widow and Elisha with Naaman. What Jesus is doing with these two stories is warning them, like prophets do, to not be unfaithful like their ancestors in rejecting his message and to understand... That his message is not just for the people in Nazareth that look like them, talk like them, and act like them. The message of hope, of freedom, of life is for everyone. As the Apostle Paul would write years later, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Jesus must have been right that in their hearts the people there that morning were privileged and unfaithful because the next verse says, All in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove Jesus out of town and brought Him to the brow of the hill with which their town was built so they could throw Him down the cliff. Oh, Jesus must have hit the mark, didn't He? Why else would they have been so upset? Unless they believed that the grace and mercy of God was only reserved... For a privileged few and that they were that privileged few but the truth is that the lord's favor doesn't play favorites and this is why everyone in the synagogue that day lost their ever-loving god-blessed minds you mean this grace and favor and recovery and release stuff isn't just for us you mean we aren't supposed to look out just for number one You mean we don't take care of our own first and then with the leftovers pick and choose who we think might next be worthy? You mean this recovery and release and freedom is for them as much as it is for us? See, to begin the grasp of what is so unsettling and upsetting about Jesus' message to his hometown crowd is that we need to be reminded about the significance or maybe the insignificance of these widows and these lepers about whom he was preaching. They were at the bottom of the barrel as far as social standing was concerned. They were the outcasts. They were the unclean, the unworthy, the unlovable, the unwanted by the rest of the world. And so for Jesus to proclaim these things, God's grace and mercy and love for these outcasts is a pretty big deal, but that's not it. Not only was he talking about the outcast, the sinner, the shamed, and the shameful, he was talking about people outside of the Jewish circle. Jesus was saying that just like the prophets Elijah and Elisha showed, foreigners to Israel were welcome to the grace of God too. Not only was God's grace available for losers like lepers and widows, it was even for and especially for Gentile widows and Gentile lepers too. Which seems to me to imply that there is nobody beyond the reach of God's love or beyond the reach of Jesus' ministry. Do you believe that? That God's grace and love is available for everyone? Or do we sometimes, through our words and actions, indicate that God's favor only extends to those on our side of the street? Our church, our tribe, our party, our ideology, our country. I'm afraid the truth is many of us are too busy looking for cliffs Whenever the message of God's grace and love and mercy and favor gets a little too wide. And when it refuses to play favorites the way we pretend that it should. That's the story of Jonah, isn't it? God tells Jonah, go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent and they will find favor with me. And Jonah says, I'll be right back. And he gets on a boat heading the exact opposite direction. Why? Because he hated the Ninevites. They were on the other side. Everything they thought, everything they did, everything about them was wrong. And Jonah knew that God was right. And that his favor extends also to them. I think what Jesus is doing, particularly for us, is to tell us that the message that you and I talked about last week needs to be proclaimed and shared, not just to those that worship here at Mount Olivet, And not just to those that live on Roanoke Island, and not just to those that live in Dare County, but that the message of Jesus as the fulfillment of all that God promises must be made known to every human being on this planet that draws breath. If all we do is internalize what we hear on Sundays, then we have failed in our task to make heaven as crowded as it can possibly be. And sure, we can try to say who wins and who loses, who gets saved and who doesn't. We can try to limit God's grace or draw lines in the sand or keep it for ourselves. We can even try to silence the truth by hurling the messenger over a cliff or by running him out of town or by nailing him to a cross. Because that's what happens a little bit later, doesn't it? Do you see the parallel between what's happening here in Nazareth and what happens a little bit later in Jerusalem? Jesus is welcome praised hosanna in the highest and just a few days later that same crowd is saying what crucify him because that message wasn't playing anymore with them but friends it's the resurrection that reminds us that god's grace must be shared no matter what no matter who because it will bring good news to the poor It will release the captive. It will restore sight to the blind. It will set the oppressed free. Because what I am convicted by, when I hear about Jesus' near-death experience this day in Nazareth, is the invitation for us to get out of God's way and to get with the program. What I hear is a call to the church, our church here in Manio and the larger church as a whole, to not be left standing on the cliff like the peaceful of Nazareth, only to find that Jesus has passed through the midst of us untouched. What I don't want any of us to find is that he's continued on his way, sharing grace and doing justice and offering God's blessings to a world so desperate for it, and we were too busy or too angry or too self-absorbed or too selfish and scared to join him in that work. Friends, let us not be complacent, but awakened. Let us not be selfish with the gospel, but sharing and giving. Let us be faithful in proclaiming what God promises to do for all of his children. And in doing so, friends, we will draw Jesus in instead of driving him out. And we will then be doing our part to make heaven as crowded as it can be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.